According to the guy who gave it to me and gave it to me good, I can travel, I can go to restaurants and eat inside. But the other day, Dr. Fauci said, don't eat inside. So I'm very confused, but hopefully the point is I can't die and disappoint dozens of you out there. So all good here. So my, I, 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 I honestly have not really yeah. read much about vaccines right. and what and what you can and can't do because mm-hmm. we're like, 12 years away from getting one here. Uh, we were, our government bought like a hundred million doses of AstraZeneca. And now right. they're like, well, we're not going to give that to anyone under the age of 50 now. Right. Uh, so we have to come up with something else. Um, so it's a complete yeah. clusterfuck here. Not that it really matters. Cause we have no, it doesn't matter. Like there's no urgency because we really don't right. have much virus going around here, but it does mean that, our ability to travel, our ability to open up our borders, uh, yes. you know, our ability to avoid future snap lockdowns uh, when there are minor breakouts. Anyway, uh, so, but my understanding is, tell me if I'm wrong here, my understanding is that even if you have the vaccine, you can still contract the virus, get it into your body. It just won't make you as sick or kill you. But right. what that means then is you can still go and spread it to other people who may not have had the vaccine. Is that your understanding? Yes. The, and, and they just did a uh, six month study because of the very, the people who took it for the very first time. So the numbers are good. So the chances of you getting it, keeping it and spreading it are, are vastly reduced, but it is right. still technically possible. Right. Um, but like this is Nelson County and we have two streets and one red light. So I'm not worried about hurting anybody, but I would like to travel one day. Kiki wants to come back to your neck of the woods, which is she's planning on. She's already started saving my money, but anyway, so that's in the future, but yeah. So the numbers are better, but it's still a chance. So the mask, social distance, everything still is in place. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's get into the news stories. Apologies to everyone. We haven't done a show for a few weeks. Uh, I've been on holidays. We've both been on holidays for the last week, and then, you know, it's just been busy. But um, as I was just saying to Ray, I keep thinking i got nothing to talk about, but but then I look in my bullshit filter folder, and it turns out i got a lot of stories. Some fucking Greek cunt died uh, about a week ago, and oh, my God, (laughs) wall-to-wall fucking coverage. I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but here... For yeah. 24 hours, every news story on every page of every media site right. was about some fucking elitist yeah. Greek cunt. And then Martin Darlington is probably not listening to this, so I will uh, uh, pay out on him. He wrote some fucking uh, Facebook post 
a nice uh, eulogy or, or, or it was like listen or, whatever you think of the royal family this is yeah. this guy end of an era you know he served his country wow fuck off look Here's my take on Prince Philip, though, if you hadn't figured out who I was talking about. Right. Um, born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, you know, the family, uh, his, his, my understanding is it was his grandfather who was the king of, no, sorry, his uncle. His grandfather was the king of Greece. Then his uncle was the king of Greece. Right. Uh, then they had a spot of bother, uh, World War One. Then they came back after World War One. They had a spot of bother after a war with Turkey. <laughs> Right. He had to leave his father. Yeah. His father copped a lot of shit for uh, being in charge of the uh, Greek military during the Greco Greco Turkish wars. Yeah, he did a bad job. They had to leave, um, so they had a spot of bother. But uh, Philip was sent to England, where he had relatives, the old uh, Battenbergs, who changed their name to Mount Batten to sound less uh, Germanic during World Good War. Move. War. Good move. Um, so yeah. he basically ended up back with a silver spoon in his mouth and he kept that silver spoon in his mouth the entire life. Some, so yeah. he was born a spoiled brat, uh, fucking married another spoiled brat and basically didn't go a day of his life. Okay, maybe spot of World War II, but everyone, you know, uh, that yeah. generation fought in World War II, so he's not special. Right. Uh, didn't go a day of his life without being treated like a royal puppy, uh, having the best of everything given to him. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. You know, travelled around the world, lived in fucking castles, palaces. It's pronounced castles, but go ahead. Go ahead. Did, did nothing, did achieved well. nothing, accomplished nothing. That's true. And he dies and everyone loses their yeah. damn minds and the media's full on coverage. Uh, fuck him. Fuck the Royals. I really don't give a shit about any of them. Why are we in 2021? Why right. are these fucking inbred morons being given any media coverage, let alone wall to wall media coverage? It, it really deserved one line story. Oh, that old fucking Greek cunt's dead. Next. Yeah. What's what's next? Yeah. We're all what, married to Nazis. Exactly. Um, what's, what's the price of grain? Yeah. No. Um, if it makes you feel any better, and I think this will buck you up. Um, not only when Americans heard about it, we go, wait, is Megan dead? Oh, somebody else in the family? Fuck it, who cares? But even the British turned off their uh televisions by the tens of thousands, if not more, when this was like, like you said, it was wall-to-wall coverage, they all just shut their uh televisions off. And the and BBC one, I think it was, or some one of the BBC uh channels put up a complaint form, uh, which was unwise because it was filled out 110,000 times online. So you don't care. I don't care. It turns out the Brits themselves don't care. He's 99 years old. He's been sick for a while. This was not unexpected. Didn't exactly have the best PR. I mean, he could have used Stan and Barry. Um, he started writing to Elizabeth when, when she was 13 and he was 18. You can't do that nowadays, but obviously you could do it back then. And he, he was pulling a Gates, but um, he was wise to write her and to build a relationship with her because he gets married. And like you said, and that's what the very last line of my notes is he lived a life of privilege, never did anything. Um, he was in the Royal Navy, so good for him during World War II. But like you said, everybody served in World War II. 
but it's not a big deal that this guy's gone for most of us. He's truly a relic. He was into polo, yachting, carriage driving. So basically he had nothing in common with commoners. Stag hunting. (laughs) He built his own rover, his land rover. Good for him. I couldn't do it. But the point is he was from a different time. He didn't really impact anything and now he's gone. Let's move on. And look, and, and you could very well criticise us for using up time to talk about it as well. But here's the thing. If all of the coverage, or at least a good percentage of the coverage that we got in Australia was, what the fuck is going on? Why do we still have a royal family? Let's right. make this the end of it. Uh, this is disgraceful. Yeah. This is an embarrassment. Uh, if that was the coverage, which obviously is part of our coverage, then I would get it. Like, this is uh, this is uh, abhorrent. This is This is... Appalling! This is this makes me want to throw up. This whole thing that, yeah. that, that they even exist in yeah. this day and age is an absolute insult. I think to uh, the 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 general um, proletariat, the working classes. Right. But the the media coverage wasn't that in Australia, and so I started asking myself, why is the media coverage so obsequious? And the politicians are all tripping over themselves to pay homage to this great man who, like even Martin Darlington in his post uh, is like, he served as the consort of the queen. What the fuck does that even mean? He was married a couple times. He was married to a career woman whose career was doing nothing, um, being rich. Yeah. Exploiting the wealth that uh, her predecessors had stolen from the masses, and uh, not just the British masses either, the Indian masses, <laughs> African masses, Australian masses. Um, uh, like, uh, why? What? What prompted the media? And I'm thinking of the ABC here, which is the only media I consume in Australia. It's independent of the government but paid for by the government we've got a conservative government and conservative governments always fall over themselves to lick the ball sacks of the royal family here and i i so maybe the abc which is whenever there's a conservative government in power here there's always a lot of um tension between the abc and the conservative government because conservative government doesn't want the abc to report on the bullshit that the government's doing and so they pull their funding and they threaten them to that they'll shut them down or pull more funding or whatever uh so maybe the abc was trying to uh suck up to the government even that uh, i don't know that doesn't carry a lot of water so i don't know why there was so much coverage in the media here i haven't quite figured that out but it was appalling fortunately it mostly disappeared within about 24 hours Right. But let, let me t- tweak that question. The people who were going to do 24 hours for days or whatever, you know, just the constant coverage, the idea that the people who make these decisions at the BBC or ABC or whatever are so out of touch with their own people where they're thinking, no, this, this is going to, this is going to work. This is going to be popular. We're going to, people are going to flock to their televisions. I mean, they, they could not have gotten it more wrong. So that's the part that I find interesting that we're going to put this up and people are going to, take a moment out of their busy schedules in their lives um, and, and pay homage to this guy. So the, the fact that they got it wrong uh, is, 
again, they're just out of touch, but you're going to love the story. Just really one quick story. In 1986, Prince Philip went to China to visit some um, British students here who, you know, trying to build relations because it was the 80s. And he said to some of the students in a private conversation, he said, if you stay here much longer, you'll go slant-eyed. So again, straight talker, shoot, shooting, straight shooter kind of guy. You know, he said the stuff we're all thinking, let's be honest. But because it was stuff like that where people went, you know, maybe he should be seen and not heard. But again, when you're not ever told no your entire life and your royalty, and like you said, a royal puppy treated like that, you don't know what's right or wrong. You just do or say whatever you want because you've never been slapped before. Be, I think he was that. Yeah. To be fair, my grandfather probably would have said the same thing. <laughs> I mean, yep. that was just that generation, just right? The they just, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. just, but by a little bit sort of close, particularly, particularly yep. if you're uh, the, a quasi king of a uh, imperialist white nation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the <laughs> anyway, best, let's Jerry. move on. Move on. I, I really want to, this is a crowdsourcing thing. I really want to um, ask our audience for input right. on this. What kind of punishments should be meted out? to somebody who claims Cherokee descent, but uh, as it turns out, actually has 0% Native American blood. Um, <laughs> are you using that coffee mug? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hiding. Look, let me explain something to you. Do you want to tell the story or shall I? No, I want you to tell the story. <laughs> uh, my daughter, Belle, um, recently decided to do Ancestry and she gets her results back in 23 and May or something like that. Something like that. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and she doesn't find any American ancestry, DNA lineage, whatever the, the proper term is. So she gets on Facebook and she goes, huh. And, um, what maybe should have been uh, a semi-private matter. No, you and some others got involved and start jumping my shit. They're like, Ray said this, Ray said that. But the reason y'all jumped the gun was clearly I'm not her father. And we have to figure all that out because somebody owes me an explanation of tons of the back taxes. So it's a very awkward time for us. You back guys alimony. are just having fun. <laughs> exactly. You people are just talking shit and having fun. Uh, I tried to explain to her that some of the, a lot of the Native American records aren't on ancestry or or those other things yet that's yeah, which my is story. complete bullshit and i'm sticking with it <laughs> lying consistently mm, is more mm -hmm. important than telling the truth mm, mm. i think you'll have find. you had a 23 and me done papa ben? i had an ancestry kimasabi um, tonto i had i had an ancestry two or three years ago and i honestly can't remember i mean most of it was like irish maybe mm. northern france just white when you say trash. you had an ancestry, what does that mean? You got a DNA test done, uh, or you just ancestry is one of the many companies like uh, like Twenty Three and Me. It's just literally no, ancestry.com just does genealogy charts. They don't do mm. DNA tests, do they? I think so. I don't know. I don't know. I, it was it was uh, I got it for free, so I didn't really pay attention. No, uh, it's not a DNA test if you got it for I free. I knew that friend. I was um, Irish trash uh, potato yeah. eater, but so um, let's just be clear. You have 0% Indian heritage, Native American heritage, zero. Perhaps. So all of those uh, benefits that you've got over the years from claiming that you're a part Native American. Yeah. Oh, you got yeah. my my sympathy for a start. I was like, oh, shit, bury my heart at Wounded Knee. That was a sad book. Right. You've, uh, your people, your people have been oppressed. I've got to give you a, give you a leg up. Yes. 
And now? What, what, what are you going to do now, Cam? Are you going to be mean to me from now on? You're going to change? Come on. You're going to like, you know what? I'm going to turn yeah, it up. Yeah, I'm not going to stop being nice to you now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn it up to 11, that son of a bitch. Um, obviously, I need to do it because it can change. You know, um, you get different stuff from your parents or grandparents. So I need to take my own test. So this is unsettled until I take settled. the if you had Native American DNA, you would have passed some of it down to Belle, assuming that right. she is your daughter, uh, in which case she would have some, and she has zero, which means right. yeah. you have zero. I've seen her. She looks like you, unlike but, Kiki and Sophie. Right. She so looks a bit who, like you. Yeah. yeah. But but my grandfather, I guess I should dig up some pictures of my grandfather and I'll send it to you. The man is uh, a Cherokee brave with his hair cut short and slicked back with the with the dapper Dan that they used to use back in the mm. whatever 30s, 40s, 50s. It's probably but, Syrian. Probably, Greek, probably, you know. Yeah. Damn. How could you, so I have I have to go to what my What makes mom. you think what makes you think he looks Native American? Uh say you're in uh you're trying to get me trapped. You're not allowed to talk about this shit anymore. This is cancel culture territory. No, my, um, I have to go to my mother. I think we've we've gone down that hole so much. Like eh, we've set up, know. we've set up space there. I have to go to my mom and go, Mom, your father hmm. told you he was Native American, probably fucking Syrian. He came over from the Middle East. You know, I don't know, but you need to look into the fa the family story, the family Bible. That's someone's lying to somebody. It wasn't yeah. me as far as I know. I thought I was telling the truth. My I'm grandfather told me he was an Aboriginal. <laughs> I've told you this story before. There's a picture that was right. on his wall of an Aboriginal tribe. And I said, what's that? He goes, that's me. When I got kicked right. out of the tribe for having sex with the chief's daughter. He told me that right. when I was like Fox's age. And I believed it right. until, you know, and he had dark skin, very dark skin. Right. He, had, he was like a Polish her, Polish heritage, but he was out in the sun all the time, you know, right. in Queensland, and he worked outdoors most of his life. So he had very dark, tanned skin. He told me he was Aboriginal. I believed him until one day I was about 15 or 16, and this story came back to me. Right. And, you're like, and I was like, hey, hold on a second. You hmm. fucking. And he went, ha! Oh, he laughed his ass off. Funny. Like, and I tell Fox some crazy stories. Right. My mum was telling me a story the other day. Uh, I mean, that's not the other day. There's a story she's told me many times before that um, my grandfather's grandmother, right. first generation to come out here from Poland, there's this family story where my grandmother, so my grandfather's wife, mm -hmm. walked into my great-great-grandmother's kitchen one day and she was sticking a thumb in a pot of boiling water. And my grandmother said, what's, what's, what's up, uh, Nana? And she said, uh, oh, you know, I was out in the woodshed getting some wood and a rat bit me on the thumb when I picked up a thing of wood. So I grabbed the rat and I squeezed it to death while it was sinking its teeth into my thumb. And we're all like, oh, she's such a badass. Blah, blah. I said to my mum the other day, you know, that story is probably fucking bullshit, right? She probably cut her thumb. On, yeah. a, on a fucking knife. And then, uh, or maybe she did get bitten by a rat. Um, but the whole, she squeezed it to death thing, I'm, I'm fucking calling bullshit on that, honestly. Right. I'm like, this yeah. is one of these family legends that just, uh, somebody says something is a joke 
and it just you know generations it's like jesus said hey i'm the son of god guess what hey somebody give me another beer and uh why why is it our shout again because i'm the son of god motherfuckers i heard oh yeah good one jesus you know somebody in the bar heard that went home told their kids oh you know who was in the bar tonight some guy called son of god jesus i bought him a beer yeah Fucking story, story, you know, generations after generations, people think yeah. it's true. But that's nothing compared to the story that Jesus's mother told. Look, Joseph, for the last time, I was visited by a ghost. Yes, he nailed me, but it was a ghost. That doesn't count. You can't that's get mad at me. Yeah, it, yeah. And it happened in Vegas. So, so double don't count. Yeah. Um, moving on. And moving COVID anti vaxxers. Uh, this has been yes. uh, on my thing for a while. So. I mean, you know, increasingly seeing a lot of people who are uh, COVID anti-vaxxers, including, you know, one former business partner of mine, a guy who was my business partner years ago, good guy, smart guy, worked with him at Microsoft, worked with him at uh, Aussie Mail before that. We go way back, really smart, successful uh, Mm -hmm. guy, uh, works in the software industry now as like a, I don't know, sales guy, makes a lot of money. Posting... um, COVID stuff, finding, I think the last thing, he posted a video a couple of weeks ago of some doctor in, I think it was Idaho, giving a talk in front of some legislators there, basically saying, you know, vaccines and masks, aren't what it's all about, uh, really, you yeah. just need to stay healthy. That's the best vaccine for COVID is just not having any underlying conditions and you'll be fine. And they were all right. applauding and clapping and all this kind of stuff. So I want to just remind folks, uh, in case you're falling down one of these rabbit holes, or if you have, uh, you know, friends or, or people on Facebook pushing this kind of stuff to you, the thing that it gets back to our anti-vax series, right? Gets back to, I think, anyway, my opinion is heuristics and epistemology, big words um, that I like using because they make me sound intelligent, but really it comes down to... <laughs> Epistemology, how do we know what is true? Right. And heuristics, shortcuts for figuring out what's most likely to be true and what's not most likely to be true. And um, um, a quick summary. Uh, Ray, give people a quick summary on those two. Uh, which the, the anti vaxxers are those two no, big words? Heuristics and epistemology, how to use them. Uh, from what you remember from our, co- our anti vax series. Um, let's see here. Um, well, you're always going on about what sources do you trust? You know, you do some research, you find something you can trust one, the rest of them you can't trust. And then you use that as your basis. Not that you don't try to think for yourself, but you know, who do you trust? Where do you trust that kind of thing? Why? Um, uh, well, you got to trust somebody because we all can't be experts in everything except for us, of course, I mean, that should be pretty obvious, but um, there's not enough time in the day to be an expert in everything. Um, uh, Podcaster, magician, lover, I've got those down, but uh, you literally have to, at some point, pick something because there's so much knowledge out there because the internet, it's only growing. You've got to pick something, someone, whatever to trust so you can get some information that you can base your beliefs off. You can find a fringe doctor or, or scientist to tell you anything about anything. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's uh, there's millions of them. Yeah, right. With enough money, you can find yeah. enough cr- crazy people to tell and you that- Trying to make money. That's another I, point. Go ahead. 
You can find one or two or a hundred or a thousand people, scientists, doctors, to disagree with anything out there. Um, So that, you know, people go, well, what about, you know, I was arguing with uh, this guy on his Facebook page when he posted this video. Not arguing. I did, First of all, I did was I posted a rebuttal video of another doctor, like the chief right. medical officer of Idaho, I think it was. Um, I get Idaho and uh, what's the other one with a uh, other country state uh, like Idaho kind of, not Omaha. Yeah, maybe Omaha. Yeah, no, that's a state. That's a city in Nebraska, right? So Omaha a state too. I don't Omaha's know. Omaha's a city. Yeah, okay. What's another state that begins with O? Oklahoma? Nah, short, five letters. Ohio? Ohio, four letters. I always get Idaho and Ohio mixed up. I think this was Idaho. <laughs> don't worry about it. Anyway, I posted a rebuttal from the chief medical officer, and then this, this, this mate of mine on Facebook, his friends were like, oh, just paying out. And they were like, did you watch the entire video of this doctor? I said, look, I don't need to watch every fucking fringe video on the internet um, because what I know is it's a fringe fucking video on the internet, right? Right. That's all I need to know. I watched the first 10 minutes enough to see that he's positing fringe views. Now, heuristics, as you say, and epistemology, let's get back to epistemology, which is the study of how do we know what's true? Now, Mm If you were a scientifically minded person, the answer to that question when it comes to scientific uh, issues Mm -hmm. is uh, the scientific method is what we use to determine what is likely to be true. And the way that that we we, we determine that by using the Mm -hmm. scientific method after all of the hypothesis have been created and the research has been done and the evaluations have been carried out is that there is peer review. And then at the end of all of that, there is a consensus view by scientists who are active in the field, in this case with viruses, it's epidemiology, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, They reach a consensus view. That consensus view is, is published by various associations uh, the world health organization, the AMA or whatever the major scientific or medical bodies are in your country. Right. Dr. Love. That's, that's right. the consensus view. Right. right. Um, now, everything that falls outside of that is a fringe view in science. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's incorrect. Unicorns may exist and they may be living uh, with leprechauns and pots of gold at the, bo- at the ends of rainbows. Uh, right, but in all, but but before you believe that, before you throw your your chip in with that, you have to ask yourself why is it a fringe view? And then they go and then they go, well, some guy literally said in this thread I was on, well, you know, you don't get to be a chief medical officer. This is the guy that was rebutting it, unless you've you know you've raped a bunch of children and blah 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 blah. Literally said the word rape and women and children in this thing. I was like, yeah, okay, that tells me about the quality yeah. of your analysis. Uh, I'm out. Yeah, you know, they, they immediately go, well, why would all these doctors be on, you know, sign this petition uh, about the blah blah blah? Because you can find hundreds or thousands of people to fucking sign anything, yes. but again, they're still the fringe view. And then they'll say, well, all those mainstream medical bodies and everyone involved in those are corrupt. 
Right. So why do you think they're corrupt, but these people are corrupt? Well, because they align with what I want to believe, right? So exactly. exactly. Yes, heuristics. We we need to know. We need to uh, we need to think carefully about who we're going to turn to for reliable information on these sorts of subjects, and why we're turning to these particular people or organizations. And we need to think more broadly about epistemology. How do we know what's true, and why are we why are we going to follow that process for identifying what's true, scientific method, etc., as opposed to what it says in the fucking Bible, right? So, I just wanted to do a quick review on that because I think it's uh, this this COVID anti-vax thing is a big issue around the world, as we know. Absolutely. I forget what the stats are, but in this country, I think it's like 30% of people in surveys have said they won't take the COVID vaccine. Um, Damn. Yeah. But we still win. 40% of white male Republicans won't take it. Fuck you. 40% USA. Sorry, please continue. But the numbers are like that around the world. It's because this is a a growing thing. Now, yes, Mm -hmm. the AstraZeneca vaccine does have some issues apparently with younger, younger people and um, blood clots. There's no uh, causal link being proven or demonstrated, but enough medical authorities around the world now are saying that they think something's going on, even though we don't have hard data, but there's enough to, to, you know, uh, uh, be concerned that there might be something there, but yeah, Yeah. look, vaccines, as we know, as we didn't have any vaccine vaccines are never, flawless i mean because everyone's biology is different and they affect different people in different ways it's kind of a shotgun approach vaccines unfortunately that's the current level of medical science that we have Uh, you try and come up with a vaccine that's going to do less damage than the virus itself Mm -hmm. uh, substantially less damage than the virus itself exactly but there are going to be people that are going to have adverse reactions it's just unavoidable well the link if i could real quick the link that you sent me the article was called the anti-vaxxer playbook to destroy confidence in covid19 vaccines i mean that that pretty much blew me away and it pretty much summed up a certain part of my family um you can't it's pointless to argue with these people it it says um the anti-vaxxers are actually more motivated they're better organized and they're a lot better funded funded than you would want them to be. So you're right, it is a growing movement. And you, because it flies in the face of so much, that's probably confusing, but it's not just a, a set 20 or 30% or whatever, they are gaining momentum. It's easier to destroy than it is to build. And if you do have something like the Johnson & Johnson where uh, the Biden administration is saying, let's hold off on Johnson & Johnson because we had those six blood clots in women out of 7 million vaccines, but let's look at this. So they've stopped those. They're going to, they're going to all meet tomorrow and talk about it, but the anti-vaxxers can take just something like that. Six out of 7 million vaccines. That should be, that should not be an issue, but better safe than sorry. So they're going to look at it, but an anti-vaxxer can take that and run with it and just blast it throughout the, uh, the, uh, the internet. And it turns out that I think so far, Roughly $1 billion has been spent across all the platforms 
by various anti-vaxxer movements. So again, organized, they're working together and they've got money. Some of them are doing it to uh, have a job to, to get you to buy their products or services. Some of them are just doing it because it's a job now, they can actually do that. And some of them just like conspiracies and they wanna help tear a part of the fabric of society. But the point is they're working together, they're pretty organized and they're being pretty effective because they are flying in the face of common sense and they're doing a pretty good job. That Their results are sadly um, impressive. And uh, some of it's probably being funded by uh, Russian, yes. Chinese, Saudi, Everybody's Iranian disinformation campaign strategies you know mm -hmm. we know that one of the strategies not just being played by those countries but even by the us itself is uh, to just create mistrust and distrust amongst the right. people of their government of science of those sorts of things yeah. just to create turmoil and and to destabilize uh, the, the 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 nation um but yeah, the, the the funny thing is, the ironic thing, the thing that makes me laugh is the, the anti-vaxxers will say, well, look, you know, this is, uh, people are getting sick. I told you this isn't safe. We can't do it. But when people were getting sick from COVID, those same people are going, look, it's like, what's the death rate? It's nothing. It's like 2%, 3%. Right. That's nothing. The flu is worse than that. Don't, don't worry about it. It's it's nothing. We don't, we shouldn't worry about that. The numbers are so small. So they try and play the same argument uh, against themselves. If I could real quick, because I saw this, um, I don't know if you're a big Ted Nugent fan. I'm not trying to knock his music. This is a separate issue. I actually but, um, okay. It's a free for all. Your argument doesn't even have to be good because he said, he said maybe this like six days ago when he got skewered for it, but the people who are on his side totally support him. He said, where were the lockdowns for COVID one through 18? Huh? 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 And people went, you were so fucking stupid. Uh, but the people who were on his side totally backed him up. So again, illogical doesn't have to make sense. Is it, is it more, <laughs> more emotion or more pride? Cause once I take a position, even if I turns out that I'm wrong, it's kind of embarrassing and hard to go, you know, and I was wrong. I, I'm okay. I was wrong. I think it's really hard for people to do that. And if they double down, they just fucking double my way or the highway. And they, they stick with people like that. And that's scary as hell because now science doesn't mean anything. I can prove you're wrong. And that's still not good enough. Yeah. I mean, opinions, anyway. I mean, it's, it's a religious thing, right? People, mm build their identities around uh, opinions on issues, politics, right. religion, fucking what basketball right. team you support, which right. country is the greatest in the world. Yeah. They, they, they construct their identities around that, usually because they've got nothing else going on. Um, and if, 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 you know, if they have to... Uh, dismantle one of those opinions it, it directly challenges the identity that they've spent decades or a lifetime building up so it's facts courage. be damned right right yeah exactly exactly right, let's move on um iran had a uh, atomic site blackout at their facility the natanz facility uh mm. last week and uh, they have described it as an act of nuclear terrorism. 
They uh, seem to be blaming Israel, and Israel seems to be agreeing with them. <laughs> yeah, was it Netanyahu met the the new Secretary of Defense? Uh, Lloyd Austin, and he and uh, Netanyahu said, look, I vowed to do everything in my power to stop the nuclear deal because the Americans and the Iranians are about to start up again talking. Maybe we can get back into the nuclear deal that Trump took us out of. And so I, I think that's pretty much Netanyahu going, look, I don't need you two getting along. I need you two at loggerheads. So America keeps protecting us and funding us and pretty much agreeing with anything that we do or say. And so if if Israel is trying to sabotage us, it actually serves their purpose quite brilliantly. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Netanyahu's like, yeah, you know, even if we didn't do it, I kind of like y'all to think that we did. That's scary as shit, but who knows? I should clarify, sorry, the blackout was last July, not last week. The story Mm. came out in the last week. Um, So back in July, the Natanz Atomic Facility had an explosion at its uh, advanced centrifuge assembly plant Yes. And uh, Iran's now rebuilding that facility mm-hmm. deep inside a nearby mountain. Did I say Israel or Iran? I can't remember. I think it was Iran. Yeah. I Iran. said before. Uh, so Iran blamed uh, Israel for that. They've yeah. also blamed Israel for the murder of an atomic scientist in November. Mm-hmm. According to Associated Press's article, multiple Israeli media outlets reported Sunday that an Israeli cyber attack caused the blackout in Natanz. Public broadcaster Khan said the Mossad was behind the attack. Channel 12 TV cited experts as estimating the attack shut down entire sections of the facility. While the reports offered no sourcing for their information, Israeli media maintains a close relationship with the country's military and intelligence agencies. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe it's a coincidence. Yol Guzanski, a senior fellow at Tel Aviv's Institute for National Security Studies, said of Sunday's blackout, if it's not a coincidence, that's a big if someone is trying to send a message that we can limit Iran's advance and have red nuclear lines. Right. Sorry, let me go back. So the blackout was last week. The explosion was in July. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, either way, the bottom line for this story is everyone, including Israeli outlets, seem to agree that Iran is committing acts of terrorism. Israel. Sorry. Israel. Israel. Fuck, I need more coffee. Yeah. Israel is committing more acts of terrorism against Iran. Right. Uh, but, of course, what's the world doing about it? Nothing. Here was here was my thing. I would think that the Secretary of Defense, uh, who, who who's on uh, Team Austin. Biden, yes, would go to um to Israel because he he recently met with Netanyahu, and I would think he would say something like, you know, just between you and me, I would really appreciate it if you'd quit giving Iran reasons to develop a nuclear missile. We'd really really appreciate that, and since you're closer than we are, I would imagine you would appreciate it too. Did Lloyd Austin say that? No, he said, our support for Israel is enduring and ironclad. So basically, Israel knows they can do whatever the fuck they want, and the American government, in whatever form, in whatever party, is going to back them 100%. So you've got this giant 900-pound gorilla protecting you. You're going to go fuck with some people because you're not afraid. I I get the feeling that Israel is just going to keep fucking with Iran because they can. It's just scary. Yeah, so the Biden administration is supporting terrorism 
uh, enacted by Israel, mm-hmm. doing nothing about it. Uh, imagine if Russia did that to the United States or China or Iran, caused a blackout at an American nuclear facility. I mean, sure. it would be it would be fucking World War Three, man. Right. But Israel gets to do it, and yeah. I, I listened to a good interview with Chomsky recently. He's doing the fucking rounds. He's got a new book out, Chomsky. He's ninety two or ninety three. He's doing the rounds, man. You listen to one of these interviews with him. He's sharp as a tack. Um, I heard him. He's on an Australian podcast that Tony Coniston told me about. Jolly Swagman. They were interviewing Noam, and um, they were talking about Iran at some point. And Chomsky had a great line. He said something like, well, Iran, if they do want nuclear weapons, they keep saying they don't want nuclear weapons, but if they do want nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons are a deterrent to stop, you know, people attacking you. They're surrounded by nuclear powers, particularly Israel. Mm -hmm. He said, um, who doesn't want someone to have a deterrent? Somebody who doesn't want to be deterred. That's who doesn't want someone to have a deterrent. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Man, come um, on, let me do mm. it. Yeah. And he said, you know, and you, you you can't blame Israel for wanting a deterrent. They just look at what the US did to Iraq 20 mm. years ago. And, and mm. you know, before that, when the US sponsored okay. Iraq's invasion of yes. Israel in 79-80 and the 10-year war that followed. Yeah. And then, they, then the US attacked Iraq twice uh, over the course of the next... 10 years and yeah. uh the, the 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 second time well the first time it was devastating for iraq the second time it was devastating for the middle east um and it created isis and all of that kind of stuff so you can't blame israel for wanting a deterrent sorry iran for wanting a deterrent from it i wish they'd right. fucking change their names <laughs> israel iraq and iran I, uh, yeah. too many eyes people yeah. can we come up with something different iphone I- ipad israel Iran, come Iran on. will be from now on. It will be Iran so far away. That We've I already remember. done that, but there's still an I. We 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 need to get Barry and Stan on the job. Give them names right. that don't all nope. begin with I, please. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, let's. I'm just going to call Iran Persia from now on. That'll help. Hmm. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. But Iraq was also kind of part of Persia, so that gets confusing. <sighs> Fuck. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. I just saw another story. This isn't in our notes, but I saw another story today that uh, the US is now responsible for one third of all military sales uh, around the world, most of it going to the Middle East. Right. Uh, Apparently, China and Russia have sold less uh, weapons in the last uh, five years. They've reduced their arms supplies around the world for some reason. Uh, but the U.S. has filled the gap in. So the U.S. is now worth uh, uh, responsible for a third. I think 24% yeah. of U.S. arms sales uh, goes to Saudi Arabia at the moment. Uh, what could possibly bite us in the ass from a that? A religious fucking terrorist country that uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS both came out of. Well, right. ISIS came out of Iraq, but it was sponsored by... Wahhabism, which yeah. uh, uh, comes out of uh, Saudi Arabia, <sighs> and the 9-11 attacks. Uh, the country, the perpetrator of the 9-11 attacks, gets one quarter of U.S. 
um, cells. Right. If I could just real quick, and again, this is not in uh, the stuff we agreed to talk to, but if you and I were to dress up as Stan and Barry for Halloween and we go to the Biden administration and, and he hires us as he should as his, uh, as his advisors, I would say something like, maybe it's not a good idea, hear me out, to try to take on Iran, China with their money, Russia with their military, get involved in the Ukraine. Um, I think we're spreading ourselves a little thin. Let's just pick one enemy, beat the shit out of them, and then move on to the next one. But when you're trying to do all these things, I mean, they can gang up on us in so many different ways. So we're trying to make sure our economy stays ahead of China. We're watching the, uh, the Russians I don't know if you saw this in the news, we're sending ships into the Black Sea and now Putin is like, you really don't want to do that. So we got that going on and the shit in the Ukraine. We're trying to fuck with Iran. Do we want a war with Iran? Just come out and say, look, we're looking for a war with Iran. We're just trying to figure out how to justify it so the American people come aboard. We're just spread way too thin. And 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 in, I don't care who you are, how much money you have, or what your population, or how much money you can print. Uh, it's not good to have that many adversaries who focus on different things all at the same time. I mean, Machiavelli would tell you that. I mean, I just wonder why we're still fucking with the world, and we're surprised that they're starting to fuck back in better and or, more organized ways. I mean, because it's we, we divide and conquer and arms sales, man. That's why it's not working. I, I enjoy the fact that my stock hasn't gone down because we're selling so many arms and there's all the ancillary benefits, which you've explained. I get that, but it's going to come back and bite us in the ass at some point. That's all I'm saying. The other point that Chomsky made regarding um, Israel was, and I do mean Israel this time, is that everyone knows that Israel has nuclear weapons, although yes. Israel refuses to acknowledge it and the US refuses to acknowledge it, but Israel right. also refuses to sign the uh, anti-nuclear weapons treaty. Right. Uh, and he said the reason for that is the reason why the US refuses to acknowledge it is because there's a law in the US that the US is not allowed to sell weapons to nuclear powered countries. So uh, oh. they wouldn't be able to supply if 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 it was confirmed right. officially that Israel has nuclear weapons, the U.S. by law would not be able to sell them weapons. Brilliant. So nuclear ambigu ambiguity, like we yes. had sexual ambiguity in Vegas. Yes, <laughs> back to Vegas. So, um, so the U.S. is kind of lying to itself. We know they have nuclear weapons, but we're not going to say it out loud because if we say it out loud, we can't give them $4 billion of weapons a year. You break the spell. Shh. Nobody say If you don't speak it out loud, it's not true. It never happened. No. Yeah. You don't look me in the eye. I won't and look this you is, in the eye. And this yeah. is successive, successive administrations. This has been true. This is American policy. Yeah, Democratic administrations, Republican administrations, it doesn't matter. Yes. Biden's doing the same thing. It works. Which leads me to the next story. So um, I saw this in the ABC a couple of weeks ago. It's about a couple of Oxford University archaeologists who right. were uh, scanning the Middle East. They were experts in the Middle East. They were scanning satellite imagery of Israel and the West Bank. And then they started to notice that yeah photos taken over Israel were all blurry. Not yeah. enough. Damn not it, a can't you take enough. a picture? That's blurry. 
Come not on, high enough quality to work like, out anything that was going on on the ground. Dr. Fradley and Dr. Zerbini, good names. The names of the researchers were. Right. And then they found out that the reason there were blurry photos was that there is US regulation. It's yes. called the Kill Bingaman Amendment, right. which compels the US government to blur satellite imagery exclusively. Mm-hmm over Israel and the Palestinian territories. Well, are they special? Explain Is that like this when to you're, me, Ray. Well, it's like when you're a young kid in the uh, 90s or 80s and you're looking, trying to look at adult science, you know what I'm talking about. And at the time, they would blur, they would pixelate whatever, the nipples out and stuff like that. It was really soul-crushing at the time. They just decided to do that on a much larger scale for Israel. Israel literally doesn't want anybody to be able to zoom down on them. If you try to get satellite issue uh, images from any American companies, and, and let's face it, in the 80s and 90s, it was mostly American companies, um, You, whenever you got to Israel or the West Bank, it was purposefully blurry, uh, I guess, so you couldn't plan an attack on Israel or Israel could protect its secrets or whatever. So again, it was just another plank in the pro-Israel policy that America had, obviously going back for decades. And so if they hadn't, because they literally were trying to get these images, couldn't figure it out, did some digging, 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 and then they ran into the wall of that regulation. So now they're like, well, what are we going to do now? So that, that was... I mean, they literally stumbled upon this thing that nobody was talking about. Yeah, it was uh, pushed through in 1997 by the Clinton administration. Um, kind of not very well known. It had been kept sort of under wraps. Right. It's called Kill Bingman because of Bingaman because it was uh, named after the two senators who pushed it. John Kill, who was a Republican from Arizona, Call and me. Jeff Bingaman, who was a Democrat from New Mexico. Right. They pushed it through. Basically, it it says that satellite companies are not allowed to show high resolution of Israel or what Israel's doing in the West Bank. Um, Expansion of Israeli settlements, demolitions of Palestinian homes by the Israeli government, human rights abuses. It all needs to be blurred out to protect Israel. Yeah, they're the Um, victims. Let's not get into that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, this is something that, so th- these researchers uh, found this out. So they then figured out that they could get, I mean, most of the satellite imagery that people like this use, researchers use, comes out of the US. Uh, so they figured out that there was a French aerospace company, Airbus, which was the first non-American company or one of the first non-American companies to produce high-resolution satellite imagery of Israel and the Palestinian territories. So they got access to those uh, images. And then they were able to see nuclear facilities being built up uh, in Israel. Uh, There is a place called Dimona, a small city nestled in the Negev Desert in southern Israel. Uh, it's a nuclear plant was first built there in secret in the 1950s, uh, and it's getting bigger, according to satellite photos. Right. Um, unfortunately, one of these researchers, Zerbini, died after a rare form of liver cancer in 2018. Um, but, uh, yeah, they figured out how to get access to this and then report on it. So we now – and then I think this uh, amendment, the Kill Bingaman Amendment, 
uh, has been uh, removed. Uh, removed. In 2020. Uh, well, it's been changed, yeah. The well, NOAA... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I apologize. So no, the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which regulates the restrictions reduced the uh, level, uh, the, the limit to the level of uh, resolution that can be used. But that was only in July 2020, after it became pointless anyway, because there were foreign com foreign companies that were publishing these photos anyway. Right. So let me put those two stories together. So it turns out that Israel may or may not, they are, um, trying to sabotage a nuclear deal between the United States and Iran. They are actively destroying, killing people, whatever. And now there are upgrading or increasing their own nuclear, maybe if they have it, they do, uh, uh, capability. Those are two facts that when you put them together, scare the shit out of people like me. I mean, I don't know. This is, this is, this is fucking insane, but everybody it's, it's all about power politics. And, um, who knows what's going to be the end result of all these moves that Israel is making and they're dragging America willingly along with them. Is it a weird camera artifact or lighting, or do you have a big white line running around your right eye? It's, it's the lighting. It's the camera is too good. It's my porn. Uh, it's my hobby camera. Um, and so, yeah, see, it looks like that if I drop that, but if I turn this out, is that any better? Uh, now you got a big black shadow running around. Yeah, okay. So oh, it's this is like a different channel. Hold on. Sorry. 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 Let, me, <laughs> let me button back up here. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's just the hypocrisy of the whole thing that never ceases yeah. to amaze me. And also, where's the left on this? Where is the American left on exposing no left. the hypocrisy? Of, of course, there's no left. Yeah. Well, not. I mean, not, when not, it comes to Israel, there's no yeah, left. There's or, no left. Yeah. Where Where is the left saying when when? Biden's Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, comes out and says our support of, with Israel is ironclad. Um, no no criticism. Oh, you're doing acts of terrorism. Bad. Naughty, naughty Israel. Don't do that. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, fucking go, go for it, Israel. Terrorism. Woo. I mean, and where's the left? Where are all these fucking Democrats who were outraged? Whenever mm. Trump did anything with Saudi Arabia or et cetera, et cetera, when it comes to Israel, they're like, no, nah, that's yeah. that's fine. That's reasonable. You know, we don't criticize terrorism. Our sure. Terrorism, yeah. it's fine. If Israel yeah. does it, it's fine. It's not terrorism, it's self-defense on a global scale. Mm. That's what Osama bin Laden said, too. <laughs> He's you not call wrong. it terrorism, I call it self-defense. I mean right. potato, yeah. potato. Fucking payback. Anyway, go ahead. It's a story about a guy called Matthias Krull that I want to talk about. Uh, yes. Uh, Krull. Oh, oh, Matthias Krull. Krull. Yeah, one of the Krull. Uh, were they the red skeleton bad guys in uh, Captain America, I think? The Krull? Something, yeah, something like that. Uh, not to be confused with uh, krill, which is what whales eat. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, the planet Krull. Yeah. Oh wow, we went yeah. deep. The planet is this Krull. Klingons? Are you bringing up the Klingons now, or uh, it's like the, who's the guy with the red, red, red skeleton? Is that his name? Red something? I, yeah, red face. I don't know. Red. Which, uh, 
offends me as a Native American. Boom! <laughs> anyway, I digress. Please continue on the show. Just, just the, oh, the Red Skull. Uh, I'm getting the Red Which, Skull mixed up with the Kroll. Right, yeah, Where's the Red that. Skull from? Where, where is he? German Captain America. Right? Yeah, but he's isn't he an alien? He's is he just a Nazi no, with a got, mask? Not no, not a mask. It's Nazi with a with a really bad Nazi attitude with alien tech that turned him into that. The Red Skull's secret identity is George Maxon, the owner of the Maxon Aircraft Company that makes airplanes for the U.S. Army. Maxon wears a oh. mask to create what? the look of the Red Skull, and his face is often exposed as the Red Skull. Maxon commanders commandeers bank robberies in an effort to raise money to overthrow the U.S. government, declaring, of course, you realize the main item in overthrowing the government is money. This uh, is from... Uh, I've got a different Captain America. This is very... Uh, this is the earliest uh, period of uh, the Red oh. Skull. He's changed um, a lot. Yeah, probably. Then. He's morphed. Yeah. I watched... Speaking of overthrowing the, con- the, the, the country, right. I watched the 1987 Burt Reynolds film yesterday called Malone. It? You ever seen Malone? No. Uh, share. He's a, share. he's a, he's a, it's kind of, it's a flaky story, but he's a, he starts off, he's like a CIA assassin yeah. who's supposed to kill a guy and he's got him in his sights in the opening act of the film, the opening scene, and he can't pull the trigger. He's over it. He doesn't want to kill people anymore. Done. So then he just gets in his hot black uh, Mustang, I think it is. Oh, and he, I wasn't sure where you were going with that one. Go ahead. Drives, uh, he drives, just goes on a road trip across the US, um, not answering his phone. And his car breaks down in some small country town in the middle of mountains somewhere. um, I like this. I know, Colorado, something like that. And, um, uh, you know, luckily it's within pushing distance of a little mechanic shop run by an old guy. and his uh, hot young eighteen-year-old daughter. Yes. Penthouse and, letters. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And anyway, there's some there's some evil rich dude who's trying to buy up this guy's uh, house and his sure. thing. He's trying to buy up the whole area, Delaney. And um, <laughs> yeah. it's got a great list, a great cast of American characters. The guy, the guy who plays her father, was in the first season of The Walking Dead. It's a guy that uh, the old guy that had a hot daughter. He always oh, plays yeah. old guys with hot daughters. Um, uh, the the bad sheriff who's in with uh, the the corrupt guy is uh, uh, played Baron Harkonnen in David Lynch's Dune. Um, the evil guy Delaney is played by the guy who was Peter Parker's father in the first few Spider Man films. Yep. Yeah, um, and has been lots of lots of other stuff. Like, yeah. All these great guys that went on and did lots of cool stuff. Or well, Dune was before that, actually. Right. Anywho, not a great film, yeah. And so you know, it's kind of it's kind of Seven Samurai meets First Blood. You know, um, this is great yeah. scene at the end where they 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 sort of yeah the the the, the rich guy sends in his thugs and Burt Reynolds stands up to them and some big dude you know, has a go at him and Burt Reynolds basically puts him in hospital with a couple of karate chops. Yes. And then he's, oh, then he sends Frog um, from, fucking what was that TV show that Frog was in? Did you ever see that? Uh, Frog character. I can never remember. 
It was a Western TV show in the 70s. Uh, Best of the West. Did you ever see a show called Best of the West? I remember that, but I'm, I'm not bringing anything up. Uh, actor called Tracy Walter was in Best of the West. I used to watch it as a kid. His right. name, it speaks like this. And my name is Frog. Uh, he's a great character actor, dead now, I think. Uh, right. Tracy Walter. No, still around. Um, he pops up and stuff from time to time. But he was in Conan, Batman, Repo Man, I Spit on Your Grave. You know, he's been in a million things. But he always talks like that. Uh, anyway, my so he goes. He yeah. goes to try and shoot uh, fucking Burt Reynolds. There's a big standoff. Burt blasts him with a magnum, um, uh, and then and then so finally they kill Burt Reynolds' girlfriend, not the young girl. The young girl tries to sleep with Burt, and Burt's like, okay. He goes to kiss her, and then he goes, can't. I can't. I'm like twice your age. In fact, yeah. when he first pulls up, she says that car's older than me, and he says, uh, I got pairs of socks that are older than you. It's a great line. But, uh, and then at the end, when he's driving off into the sunset, she says, you know, I was just thinking, five years from now, I'll be older. And he says, so will I. And he gets in his car, <laughs> gives her a kiss, a uh, chaste kiss, and drives off. In right. view of a father, he gives her a kiss. I'm like, Ugh. But um, they kill, the bad guys kill his girlfriend, Lauren Hutton, who's another CIA agent, who's said oh. to kill him, but then doesn't. But then he goes into this thing, the bad guy's ranch. The bad guy's like a a hundred fucking heavily armed AK-47 security guard. Burke goes in, no weapons, takes them all out. Takes them all out. (laughs) It's great. It's just the best. Yeah. Yeah. Great 80s lines. Like he's pointing a gun at some bad guy and the bad guy goes, a guy like you. Isn't gonna. Sh- I don't think he's gonna shoot a guy like me in a situation like this. But just goes wrong, <laughs> blows him away. <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway, anyway. Who was I? Oh, Matthias Kroll. 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 Yeah. The yeah. Uh, who is not uh, uh, related Captain to America. exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, Matthias Kroll is a German banker. Right. Uh, worked for the Julius Bayer Group. Was mm-hmm. basically ran their operation in Venezuela for nice decades. Right. Got arrested in 2018 on money laundering charges at Miami's International Airport. Yeah. While vacationing with his family. Oh. Um, and he is now a witness in a U.S. federal criminal investigation known as Operation Money Flight. <laughs> Which seeks to untangle how Venezuelan kleptocrats stole billions in oil wealth from their country. By all mm-hmm. accounts, Kroll's assistants mapping the shell companies and straw men strung across secretive jurisdictions like Antigua, Malta, and Hong Kong, where Venezuelans have hidden their ill-gotten wealth, has proven decisive. And they're they're claiming Maduro's kids have been doing this and a bunch of other Venezuelan uh, government officials have been turning, uh, taking money out of the country and hiding it offshore, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, Which is, if true, uh, terrible and horrifying. And, um, you know, I I hope they all get severely punished by their own people for it. My question is, what the fuck does this have to do with the United States? Why is the United States running an investigation into Venezuelan uh, money laundering. What does that have to do 
with the United States government. Do you remember that time when we, and this rarely happened, in America, but we had that corrupt guy and the Venezuelan government came in and they arrested him. No, that never happened. Um, my only answer is two words, Monroe Doctrine. Hey, we can do whatever the fuck we want. And we and now let me ask you this real quick before you go on. When I was reading that article, at the very beginning of the article, it made it sound like Venezuelan government was corrupt because it was socialist. It wouldn't have been as bad if it hadn't been, I mean, I just got this feel that it was like, oh, these two corrupt, these two socialist leaders, and they they spawned all this corruption, and they were hiding money and stealing money from their own people, and their people were suffering. That was a tone that I got at the very beginning. But you're right, America, we have decided, because uh, I grew up with this in the 80s in history books, there was literally a chapter called The World's Policeman. And uh, we just go around nabbing bad guys. It doesn't matter if it's outside of our jurisdiction. It doesn't matter if it's not our money. It doesn't matter if it's not our country. It doesn't matter if we're not hurting for it, uh, from it. Um, we are the world's policemen, so say us. And we've got guns. In all seriousness, the, yeah. you know, I, oh, be <laughs> I, I yeah. read through this story in the AP and I read a number of other stories about it as well, just hoping that one of the stories would explain what the fuck this has to do with the United States government. Uh, why is the U.S. Justice Department yeah. using its limited resources, right. not going after Trump, not going after fucking the Koch brothers, but going right. after a Venezuelan uh, money laundering situation, a German banker, Venezuelan money laundering. What? Right. How How does that fit into... It's not the United Nations doing it. Right. It's not the right. International Criminal Court doing it. It's the United States government uh, running well, an investigate, arresting people. Yes, yes. Have Has he broken a law in America uh, that these oh. none of these articles say? Well, what they were doing was some of the money was being used to buy valuable real estate in Miami. I think that was is the only thing that I remember that allowed the American authorities to get, because they got him, they squeezed him. And he, like you said, he gave up other people. He gave up accounts. He gave up straw men, people that just sign stuff and have no idea what's going on. And the fact that they were investing their ill-gotten gains um, into American territory, I think gave the American government or prosecutors what they needed. So that if it's, if it's not for that, I'm not sure we could have gotten involved, but I think that little tiny shred is how we justified it. I know that this uh, group, the Julius Bayer Group, which is based out of Zurich, so mm -hmm. it's a Swiss group. Right. Um, apparently in 2016, it agreed to pay a $547 million fine to the US government Pennies. for helping Americans hide billions in offshore accounts. Right. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's got something to do with Americans money laundering and avoiding tax, but again, but what the fuck does that have to do with Venezuela? Well, isn't Washington trying to, how should I put this delicately, destabilize Venezuela any way we can and put our own person in charge are. so we can get yes. these? So, so, so my assumption is this is part of that, but none yes. of the articles that I read explained. They can't say that. They won't say that. 
They're pro-American. <laughs> They're but yeah, but they didn't even explain like what the fuck has this got to do? How does this fit into the US government's remit to investigate Venezuelan money laundering? None of the media now, like like any half-assed journalist is gonna obviously ask the same question. They're not idiots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but none of the stories that I could read even ventured to explain it, which I so I assume. Mm-hmm. It's a decision that we're not going to talk about this aspect of the story. It's the thing that's left out. The yes. obvious question the obvious. that is left out of the stories. Like, what yes. the fuck does this have to do with us exactly? It, apart from trying to make the socialist government in Venezuela look bad and create right. you know, evidence to destabilise the Venezuelan government. That's the only thing I can come up with. There may be more to it, but despite my searching, I could not find anything. Did we give up on Guaido? I think we did. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. I I mean, I think that at least they told him just, uh, you know, hold off for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Hang tight. Yeah. 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 Right. Try it again later. Anyway. No, We, we stick our nose in everyone's business because we can. China is exporting autocrats uh, or br- grooming autocrats is the name of this article in some f- ag- ma- online magazine called American Purpose. Yes. Sounds, how dodgy does that sound? American did Purpose. You click, did you click on the about? I just did now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Defend and promote liberal democracy in the US. Understand the challenges to liberal democracy abroad. So, we're going to do things right here, but we're also going to make sure that people aren't doing anything bad to hopefully up and coming democracies because we will be their champion. Again, what the fuck does that got to do with us? We say when we get involved and we're involved in Africa, it's, it's the latest battleground between us and China. Francis Fukuyama is the What's chair the of their editorial board. Right. Famous. Uh, guy who uh, said uh, the end of history. Didn't he write the end of history in 1992? So that's it. Communism's finished. Capitalism's won. America forever. Yeah. It's called round two, but that's fine. Mm. Uh, Anyway, uh, the article basically is, uh, I love this. It's fantastic. Uh, Let me read uh, little bits of it. Uh, In recent years, China has significantly advanced its strategic, economic, political, and military interests across the continent of Africa. Beijing has used its wide-ranging Belt and Road Initiative and other means of economic engagement to expand influence and market access globally, including in sub-Saharan Africa. Right. This is not news. Less reported is that China is increasing its influence over governments and elites across Africa, impairing budding democratic practices along the way. Chinese government-linked entities are exploiting and exacerbating governance gaps in vulnerable countries using corruption and a lack of transparency to conclude deals that undermine political accountability and ensure China's long-term influence. Beijing is also co-opting journalists and using targeted propaganda and investments in the media sector to shape the information environment to its advantage in places across Africa. What would we call this, Ray? Um, Copy in America's playbook? It's the Chinese Marshall Plan, right? Yes, the Chinese Marshall Plan. When we do it, 
it's freedom loving people shit 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 bullshit bullshit but not propaganda when the chinese do it it's propaganda and they're cultivating these these are these warlords or these 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 uh strong men who are in charge of their country now when we did it in the 80s we were fighting for democracy totally different totally different but when china does it they're bad we're good white hat operation and again, white hat at no point in this article did yeah. the two journalists david shulman and patrick quirk say you know, it's kind of like the Marshall Plan. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> not, not unlike the Marshall Plan. Yeah. 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 Now, <laughs> go remember ahead. at the beginning of COVID, I said, uh, you know, if I was China right now, if I was Xi Jinping, the world's falling into hell in a handbasket, which right. it, it, it didn't really economically because of MMT. I didn't expect governments western governments around the world just to go fucking we're just going to print trillions of dollars and you know buy our way out of this i'm glad they did don't get me wrong but um i said back then i expect if i was china i'd be like hey you want some money here's some money uh we just all we need is uh your friendship that's all we need is your friendship the chinese marshall plan right that's what china's doing and it's literally everything that they just talked about in this article uh propaganda using it to stomp on growing democratic movements. You remember that with the Marshall Plan, that one of the oh. one of the conditions communists that out countries out. had to agree to to get Marshall Plan yes. money. And again, they didn't get money. They got credits that they could spend right. in the United States. So Debit the money card. just went from taxpayers to the US right. government straight into the hands of American corporations. Exactly. Uh, was that they had to get rid of all of the communist movements in their countries. What do you call that? That's called uh, undermining political accountability and uh, impairing budding democratic practices, right? <laughs> People Pretty don't much. get to vote for communist yeah. parties in these countries yeah. because if you want the money, you got to stomp on that and crush it. Yeah. It's if, literally if the Marshall Plan, right? Yeah, no, it literally is the Chinese Marshall Plan. I was listening to one podcast. It's a, it's an old China hand. Um, and he was saying China learned how to play rough by having the Europeans fuck their shit up in the 18th century, 19th century, that kind of stuff. So that they know how to do it. The one thing that, according to this person, the one thing that China gets credit for is they don't make judgments. They don't pass judgments on, on governments. You are who you are. We're not here to influence you. We don't have this freedom loving thing going on. And like America does, we will come in and we will play the game. We will buy influence and we will try to basically play the long game. You know, we'll get in, we'll get to know your people. We'll spread some money around. So you will deal with us for the next 100 years. Cause that's how China thinks. What they won't do is say, well, maybe you should be a little nicer to your people. They're like, we're not here to judge. We're here to make money. Cause it's a zero sum game when it comes to resources. We learned that from the West. The one thing we're not going to do is, uh, is uh, preach. And so again, that's another thing that drives the Americans crazy because they're kind of beating us at our own game. And they're not even trying to turn those people into communists they're just saying you do what you want to do we're just going to do business with you so america's having a a trouble trouble in africa and the other point that he made was during the 80s america had a very general um plan when it came to africa we pretty much you show up you show up and if there's a a, one person in charge of the entire country you bring them some guns you you take them a nice car maybe an exotic animal who knows but it's pretty much guns that's what america knows 
China is going in there and they're dealing with the people's infrastructure. They're helping them with COVID. They're helping them with a sanitation and thing. And so they are literally ingratiating themselves. And America is still trying, we're still reeling from that because we're like, all we kind of do is guns. We do the guns thing. And so China is doing our game against us better than we are. And it's making those people appreciative. And now we're getting pissy with China. And so now we're trying to figure out how to go in there and, and take back what was ours. And this article, and again, these two, two guys don't ask a lot of questions. They're like, we need to really focus on the individual countries and not just see it as a continent of, excuse me, black people, but focus on the individual needs of the various countries and give them what they want. That's how you compete with China. And the Americans just aren't good at doing that. We just kind of one size fits all, especially when they're all the same color, if you know what I mean. Yeah, although I wouldn't say that uh, all the US does is sell them guns, although it's a big part of it. But they also go in and say, okay, we want access to your natural resources. We want to. Well, that's we the want, opening move. But yeah, 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 yeah. Take over your your water, your oil, your yeah. your minerals. Anything your, you got worth having. Construction, infrastructure. Yeah, we want to be able to big commercial deals. The same thing that China's doing, really. Right. Um, but during the, the Cold War, the Marshall Plan, yeah, there was a lot of uh, you can't let the socialists in. No socialists. Right. Uh, you know, right-wing uh, dictatorships, good, fine. Good, yeah. Uh, Kirkpatrick Doctrine, right? We'd rather deal with um, right. extreme right-wing dictators than left-wing dictators or them. governments because, exactly. yeah, they will do business. Yeah. The lefties won't do business with us. Now we're getting beat at our own game. That reminds me of something else, not in the notes, but I, I picked up a book. I was in like a sec, an op shop, secondhand store. What do you call them? You call them op shops over there? Used secondhand stores? Shops? Used, no, used it's more like where there's like oh. secondhand clothes and and oh, furniture um, and St. Vincent Goodwill. de Paul. Goodwill. Um, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. You call it over there. We went to one on Bundaberg. We were looking for a, a car seat for Fox. He'd outgrow mm-hmm. his other one. And, um, right. Uh, they had books, gajillion books for two bucks. And I picked up a book, a couple of books, but one in particular is Fidel and Garbo. It's a book written by a couple of uh, Americans about the friendship that lasted for decades between Fidel Castro and Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the Nobel Prize winning Colombian author of 100 Years of Solitude and Love in the Time of Cholera. And I, I, I read all of his stuff a year or two ago. And, you know, I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of Fidel. So I picked up this book and it was really interesting. The first chapter um, was very critical. I figured out the book is very critical of both of them. The first right. chapter was very critical of uh, Fidel and Marquez for supporting Fidel uh, in early, like 1961. There's a thing in Cuba called the Padilla case. Mm-hmm. Long story short, there was a Cuban poet uh, called, I think, Alberto Padilla, who um wrote a poem that was critical of the new revolutionary government. And uh, he got, he, he'd written a couple of things that were critical of the, of Cuba. And one in particular, they, the Cuban government, they ended up arresting him and holding him, I think for a couple of weeks and then let him go. And then when they let him go, he gave this big public apology, which was part of his deal, I guess, uh, you know, that he had uh, done the wrong thing by writing this, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a huge outcry. Uh, on mm-hmm. behalf of socialist intellectuals around the world who had previously supported the revolution, 
an outcry that they were now becoming as uh, oppressive as the Batista government had been before them and they were becoming right. Stalinist and this kind of stuff when they were supposed to be doing it better than Stalin had done it less oppressive. And Fidel ran a conference in late 1961 where they brought together Cuban intellectuals and artists. I think it was like a week-long conference with the government and all of these intellectuals to talk about this. And there was a lot of backwards and forwards and debate and discussion about what was going to be acceptable. And then at the end of it, Fidel, who was the prime minister of Cuba at the time, gave a big speech, which this book quoted one line of, uh, which was something to the effect of, for the revolution, everything against the revolution, nothing. But the speech I read, I've got the the full speech in one of my books on Fidel's uh, speeches. And I went and I read the whole thing and it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to, I said this many, many times, but anyone who really wants to understand the Cuban revolution, go get a book of Fidel's speeches or Che's books or book, um, two books, I think there are from Che. And read what they said, read what they wrote, and, you know, decide for yourself what you think about these guys. Because, you know, on one hand, I am against uh, uh, most forms of um, censorship. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think censorship is generally bad. I think we should have pretty much complete freedom of speech. There are probably some limitations that are acceptable, but generally speaking, the freer, the better, I think. But in this speech, and, and in the speech, Fidel basically says that. Basically, you know, in the speech, he says, look, um, we're very new at this, running a country. Uh, uh, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. Uh, we, we don't know everything. We don't claim to know everything. We don't claim to be infallible. Um, uh, and quite honestly, we didn't really have a policy on this when we took over the country. Um, you know, we had a couple of ideas about things that we wanted to do, but, you know, we were fighting a war for five years. Um, we were kind of busy. And, uh, you know, when we won, we've had to kind of figure it out. We, we've got a country with nothing, no money, no educated people, no industry, because uh, the U.S. corporates pull all their stuff out, no infrastructure. Yeah. You know, we got a lot of... So look, we may have fucked up, but right. hear me out. He said, look, in the last week, we've heard a lot of views for and against and pro and for, and that's all been great. I've loved it. I've enjoyed listening to all of you. But here's my position. And I'm, I'm summarizing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm whatever. He basically says, look, the revolution is still going on. We won the war, yes, but the revolution is still going on. We have enemies internally, people who don't like the revolution. They like the old ways. They want a capitalist government, uh, you know, in line with the United States. They still want that and they, they were because they were doing well out of it. So we have enemies internally. We have enemies yeah. even who just don't agree. They're, they're also, you know, anti-imperialism and anti-capitalism, but they don't agree with our particular views for how we're going to run things. And so we've got lots of people internally that we need to get on the same page. If we're going to rebuild the country quickly, we need to get everyone on the same page. We also have external enemies, United States being the main one, 70 kilometers, 70 miles offshore. Uh, Is it miles or kilometers? 70 miles, I think, offshore. Um, You know, economic sanctions. They just tried to invade us by pigs, blah, 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 blah. So we're still still fighting the revolution. Now, at the time, in this period of rebuilding our country, uh, we think there are going to have to be limits 
around what you can and can't say in terms of attacking what the government's trying to do. We need right. everyone, all of our artists and intellectuals, to support the revolution. Uh, if you're going to try and destroy the revolution from within or attack it or criticise it at this particular juncture, you're free to do that, but there are going to be consequences. You can write whatever you want to write, make whatever movies you want, but there are going to be consequences. Um, because it's delicate. He says, you have rights. As an artist, as an intellectual, as a Cuban, you have rights. Mm -hmm. But everyone else has rights. So there are millions of Cubans who have a right to freedom, uh, you know, an income, safety, uh, a society where they have healthcare and education and all these kinds of things that they've never had before. Right. We have to balance the rights of the majority against the rights of the minority who want to attack the government that's trying to build out the rights for the majority. Mm. And it's difficult and it's complex, but we think that in the short term, you know, by that we mean, you know, who knows, 10 years, 20 years, it might be a generational thing. Um, there needs to be limits on the, the attacks and impotence against the revolutionary government. Now, right. I don't necessarily like that. Um, I think, you, you know, you should be able to say, listen, uh, attack us. All feedback is good. We'll handle it. We'll deal with it, right? Right. But also in, in advanced Western countries, there are limits on what you can say. You can't go around in the United States or Australia, for that matter, advocating the overthrow of the government. Right. right? You, you can't do yeah. that. There are limits on free speech. You can criticize, right? You can criticize, right. but you can't advocate the overthrow. Right. Um, so there, there are limits everywhere. And he was saying, look, particularly we're a very new country. You know, we're very unstable right now. There have to be limits. Mm -hmm. My point being that the book left all of that out. In this entire chapter, right. they quoted one line and left out the everything else about the the nuances of a very very long speech. And so I was like, "Well, I'm done with this book." Obviously, I mean, it's right. it's it's good to read stuff that's critical of Fidel. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to read stuff that's critical of Gabriel Garcia Marquez because he didn't. There was a big open letter by Latin American and, and European socialist intellectuals condemning this and Marquez didn't want to be part of that because he said, look, there's, it's probably more complicated than the way you're painting it out to be. And uh, this was before he was friends with Fidel too. He didn't become friends with Fidel for another decade or so. But anyway, it, it, again, it comes down to context and uh, providing a balanced version of the story with these things, right? What's going on? What's, yeah. you know, uh, anyway. And that's One not nice in this story. article. Of the American, whatever the purpose. I mean, that yeah, was... but that had nothing to do with that. It just reminded me of that. Like, oh, it, okay. it's the but you know, you yeah, you're right though. It's the stuff that's left out. Yeah, it's the stuff that's left out on purpose. Um, on purpose. Yeah, well, you have to conclude that. I mean, if the guys yeah. who wrote this book on uh, Fidel and Garbo read Fidel's speech, which I'm sure they did, you know. To be fair, they would have had to say, but he did say, look, yes, right. we want complete freedom. That is our goal. This right. is literally what he says in the speech. Complete freedom is our goal, but we're not ready for that yet because of all of these issues that we have to deal with. And the rights yeah. of the majority outweigh the rights of a handful of writers and intellectuals who want to criticize the revolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're imbalanced, just like Fox News. 
And look, maybe he's right and maybe he's wrong. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he's necessarily right. But what I'm saying is, you know, the guys who wrote the book just left all of that out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's so my, my nature, because I've read a lot of Fidel, and I had read the speech before, but it was a long time ago. When I read their, uh, their chapter on the Padilla case, I was like, that doesn't sound like Fidel. The way they're painting it out just doesn't sound like Fidel right. to me. So I'm going to go dig up this book again that I've got. And I did, and I read, I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. That's not, not the position that he took at all, but yeah. there you go. American, and these are American academics. I think they're like of Latin American heritage, but they're Latin American academics working in uh, universities in the United States, Yeah, uh, uh, you know, writing a somewhat serious book. But, uh, you know, they're not like crazy fucking Fox News hosts writing, but it's not a Bill O'Reilly book. But right. uh, still, they just leave a lot of really important information out in order to craft the narrative that would be acceptable mm-hmm. to their publishers and to the American yes. public. Consider your audience. Yeah. Final story that somebody sent me is in the conversation by uh, Steve Taylor, senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University. How to stop psychopaths and narcissists from winning positions of power dated April 8th, 2021. One of the human race's biggest problems has been that people who occupy positions of power are often incapable of using power in a responsible way. In the past, this was mostly due to hereditary systems, which assigned power to kings and lords and others who often didn't have the intellectual or moral capacity to use their power well. But in more recent times, it seems as though power attracts ruthless and narcissistic people with a severe lack of empathy and conscience. Damn. Yeah, you got to go where the power is at. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I wrote a whole fucking book on that. Uh, last year, I actually told exactly. him to find him to yeah. come on my podcast and chat about it. Um, anyway, yeah, good to see someone else uh, putting this story out there. He didn't reference my book, quote my book, probably never heard of my book. Son of a um, bitch. I did post a comment to this thread. I'm seeing if it's mm-hmm. uh, showing up here. Oh, there it is, Cameron Riley. Oh, no reply. There you go. Well, fuck. Fuck me then. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Just more confirmation of uh, the thesis that uh, yeah. I, I wrote about in my book. Did I just real quick at the end of that article or whatever it was, did you agree with um, uh, Clive Bodie body? Basically, if someone's going to get an important job, president and charge of a corporation, it's more than just um, a sit down, a lunch, and have a good time. You need to go back and you need to talk to their elementary teachers, boyhood fr- or childhood friends, whatever. You need to see the different parts of their lives because there's a pattern there. I, I could tell you stories about little, mostly boys at, at Heather's school. And some of them are just, they're already like, you know, watch out for this kid because they're already trying to dominate and impose their will on people. And they'll, and they'll tell this one person this and this other person that they're already, you know, um, they're just incapable of considering other people's feelings about anything. And so if someone gets an important position, it's almost like it's almost like, a, uh, I guess, what a FBI background check. You should go back and talk to people who dealt with them at various stages in their lives, looking for any kind of patterns, because that I think that's the only way you can kind of tell if someone is one of these people, because like you said, they're good at selling themselves. They're good at coming across. They're good at telling you what you want to hear. They know they exactly they're good at the game and you can't just do that in a short interview. I mean, you know, they tell you what you want to hear. And so it takes a deeper research to find out 
what they're really made of, but we don't have, I guess, the attention span to do something like that. And Trump is uh, the classic, classic example. I'm a billionaire who cares about the common person. I actually did uh, put that in the last chapter of the book as okay. one of my recommendations. My main recommendation is that we need to, all of our major organizations, political, business, religious, military, police, etc. cetera, mm-hmm. we need to be screening, getting them to sit the psychopath test. Yes. Uh, we need to be screening them for psychopaths. That doesn't necessarily mean if somebody rate, scores highly in the psychopath test that they should be involved. But right. we at least need to know what we're dealing with here. Exactly. Okay, this person is a psychopath. Therefore, they're right. going to ten- their tendency is going to be to make decisions of a certain kind. We need right. to be aware of that. We need to have a committee to review, particularly if they're going to be a CEO or some sort of a senior executive. We need to have a team of people who have also done the psychopath test and scored low right. to review the decisions that they're making purely from a perspective of is this a psychopathic decision or not? There needs to be processes in place to flag things that are potentially psychopathic. They need to be they need to be approved by non-psychopath committees, et cetera, et cetera. So you can still get the the advantages of having a psychopath in a position of leadership in that they're, they're bold and they make big decisions and they cut corners and they fucking bah, 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 and they boom, boom, both guns. But um, without the collateral damage that psychopaths exactly. often. You know what you're uh, getting. Yeah. 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 I like that. All right. So that's uh, that's the show for this week. Namaste. And again, for people going, hey, where's the show? This is an hour and 40 minutes, folks. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to last shows. you a month, okay? Yeah. So yeah. fucking get off it. my back. Right. <laughs> yeah, get off my back. I'm giving, giving you an hour and 40 in one hit. Exactly. Give me a couple of weeks to do other stuff that actually makes fucking money because this show doesn't. And uh, then we'll be back.